I'm Ellen Basner of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Roasting marshmallows by the fire, eating s'mores, barbecuing hot dogs, eating chips, and licking ice cream cones. It's all part of summer in Canada, but too much of this is bad for you, and your brain knows it. That's why Canadian food journalist Mark Schatzker wants to help people understand the science behind your cravings. He's got a new book out with some ideas of what you can do about it. I'm away from the office this week, so we're bringing you an encore presentation of our conversation with Schatzker on recovering the art of eating well. I know I haven't been eating the best lately. I am terrified to get on this scale because I'm not sure how much weight I've gained. That's a clip from the hit reality TV series, 1,000 Pound Sisters. It's on TLC, and it shows the lives of two sisters from Kentucky. Tammy weighs over 600 pounds now, while Amy weighs about 270. It's addictive watching these wildly popular social media stars as they try to stop eating junk food and fail, and they try to lose weight, and to see how they deal with serious health problems from being morbidly obese. Canadian journalist Mark Schatzker says it's not surprising these sisters can't succeed at losing weight or fighting their cravings. For his new book, The End of Craving, Schatzker went around the world talking to experts and reading scientific studies to find out why people have a hard time with food cravings and why most of us can't lose weight and keep it off. What he discovered was it's because of our brains. He found that our food these days is manufactured with so many extra vitamins and artificial sweeteners and with a whole bunch of mostly hidden chemical additives that our brain thinks we're not getting enough real calories. So it makes us want to eat more. We all want a simple answer. And that's why it was nice when everyone said it was fat or it's carbs and sugar, because it's nice to declare war on one evil thing. But it's very complex. Our physiology, our brain nutrition. It's all very complex. Journalist Mark Schatzker says it's your brain, not your willpower, that's going to mess you up. Even people with the best intentions and discipline and motivation on their diets can't succeed for very long. And so it doesn't really matter whether you do keto or low carb or whatever fad of diet is now in vogue. Schatzker's from Toronto. He's a best-selling author And his earlier books tackled other food-related topics like finding the perfect steak and why Doritos are so addictive. And as I told you in Wednesday's podcast, Doritos Cool Ranch are my craving addiction. I can eat a whole bag in one go, even though I know they're really bad for me. So coming up, Mark Schatzker will be here with his prescription. He says, eat like Northern Italians do. Real food with people around you and eat for pleasure. Mark Schatzker's book came out in November, just ahead of Hanukkah and Christmas and New Year's, the time of year when people eat a lot of holiday feasts. Schatzker joins me now from his home in Toronto. We are speaking just after Hanukkah. I ate five jelly donuts in one day on the last day of Hanukkah and felt sick. And I have never done that before. But I did that while I was preparing for this interview. So I just want to disclose that I am ashamed of it, but it actually happened and I didn't plan it. So it's a kind of a good segue to talk about how your book can help people. The question we have about eating and why we eat too much, this is something that has gripped us as a society for decades now. I was born in 1973 and I grew up during that era where everybody was petrified of fat 
everything was low fat. I remember going to New York City and my uncle taking me out for tofuti, which was some kind of ice cream made from tofu, which was considered at the time some kind of miracle, a gift from God. You get this wonderful experience of ice cream, not really all that wonderful as I recall, um, uh, with not so many of the calories. And then we switched. Remember, it, it just sort of switched overnight and carbs became the enemy. Uh, none of it worked. Um, we gained a lot of weight in the 80s when we fought the war against fat. And then um, in the late 90s, when we, you know, turned our sights on carbs, we've continued to gain weight. So this is the kind of burning question is what's going on. And what I argue in the book is that the, the problem is not one of nutrients, which is to say it's not fat or carbs. These aren't, the, they're guilty in the sense that we're consuming too much of both of these macronutrients. But that's, they're just sort of what you'd call the proximal cause. There's something deeper that's driving us to eat too many of these foods. And that's the big question. And that's why it's called the end of craving because um, the knock on people with obesity and also our cultural attitude towards food is that deliciousness and the enjoyment we receive from food is dangerous. That this is some kind of pathological inclination we have that must be controlled. But when we look at the brain science, uh, we see that's not the case. When we look at brain scans of people who have obesity, they don't enjoy food more. If anything, their enjoyment of food is blunted. They enjoy food less. What we see is that they crave food more. So this book became, a, I guess, a journey, if you will, to find out what it is that is making people crave more calories than they actually need. Okay, I lived in Italy for six years as a reporter. And I was 120 pounds, which was thin. But um, we can't all move to Italy and do the slow food movement. And, you know, how do we, how do we change the, the problems we have here at home in Canada? Yeah. So now look at the rate of obesity in Italy. We'd think if, if deliciousness was really our enemy, that they would be the plumpest in the world. And the rate of obesity in Northern Italy, where they do not eat a Mediterranean diet, is less than 8%. South of the border, it's 42%. Here in Canada, it's 26%. So that again tells us we're getting something fundamentally wrong. And I think it comes down to our fear of deliciousness. Um, Italians are, do not live in fear of food. We think uh, that, that, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. And clearly it isn't. Uh, we have to ask, what is it that has changed our brains that our brains are, you know, want to eat more food, like I said. And, and where we find the answer is in this intelligence of the brain. The brain isn't stupid. So just the same way your brain controls your body weight, your brain is also measuring all the food you eat every time you eat and what taste and flavor are. We think of them as these enjoyable sensations that give us pleasure. But what your brain is doing every time it tastes food is it's measuring, what am I getting? Sweet taste is an indicator of the calories that are coming. And that's why we like sweet foods, because we need calories to live, and, and sweetness is a good indication. Well, because in our, in our kind of arrogance, we think our brain is dumb and we're so smart, we can create additives that make food taste sweeter than it actually is. We call them artificial sweeteners, or there's things like stevia, or there's, um, there's, uh, there's all sorts of things that, that they do that, that do this. But what we've done is we've created food now that gives the brain this indication of sweetness, which is to say calories, and it does not deliver those calories. So your brain not only measures the food as it's coming in, it also measures it once it's gotten into your stomach and into the bloodstream. And now your brain's going, okay, I thought I was getting calories. 
I didn't get calories. And this causes an what psychologists call an uncertainty response. It's also called reward prediction error, which is to say a predicted reward did not arrive. How does the brain respond to that? It responds with elevated motivation. The brain says, I want to get the thing I thought I was getting and didn't get. So this makes sense. We then look and we see in the brain scans, yes, people with obesity, they want food more. They don't enjoy it more. They want it more. So we see then in altering the way food tastes, we're creating this uncertainty situation. Okay, so then you can step back for a second because I talked about sweetness and artificial sweeteners. And, and my thesis is not that it's to lay all the blame at artificial sweeteners. That's just a really good example of how things go wrong. Now we can step back and look at all the incredible amount of ways we have changed the way food tastes. There's not just artificial sweeteners, there's fat replacers. This is a huge family of additives that nobody that. knows anything about. Um, we, every time you see something like a light salad dressing or, or a light mayonnaise, how, how do they create that experience of, of rich, creamy mayonnaise with no calories or fewer calories? They do that with a fat replacer. They do it in salad dressings. They're putting them now in everything because we've become so frightened of calories. They put it in ice cream. They put it in yogurt. So there's so much that we've done to food that have created this, this big distance between how the food tastes and the nutrition our body's receiving. So I argue in the book that this is the big way we've changed food. It's not fat and carbs that have changed. It's the way food tastes that have changed. And it's confused our brains. And it's literally making us want to eat way more food than we need to eat. Okay, so that, that being said, um, this is a multi-gazillion dollar industry. And um, it's not going away. Are there class action suits where they, they are asking governments or they're suing governments to, to stop this or injunctions? Is anything being done, maybe in the States or in Canada, to, uh, to get rid of some of these additives? No, I, I mean, I think, uh, I think often not because um, these are very difficult things to prove. I think um, the legal strategy would be to say people wanted this. The, the, the label clearly said it was light. It had fewer calories. That's, you know, um, and I think part of the problem is that you could even argue that these companies may be well-intended. If they said people wanted a light salad dressing, I gave them a light salad dressing. Why is that my fault? I think the problem this shows is how, how incredibly complex the relationship between the brain and the body and food actually is, and that um, we have to understand it. We have to understand how the, how the brain literally thinks about food if we want to solve this problem. Do you, I, I didn't see this in your book anywhere, um, and that is the cost to uh, medical, like OHIP or Medicare or U.S. medical system, public health, to the fact that our brains are making us fat. This is one of the things that's very difficult to quantify. As far as deaths go, um, obesity in the United States, smoking still kills more people unnecessarily, but obesity causes more unnecessary morbidity, which is to say disease and suffering. So people often say to me, you know, oh, you say that people should eat real food and good food and not everybody can afford that. And that may be true. And, and maybe we need to talk about that problem. Well, there's this other problem, which is how much it costs us in the long run, which is it's in many ways incalculable because obesity, um, it, it increases the prevalence of so many different conditions that to calculate the cost is, is, is difficult, but it costs an enormous amount of money, billions and billions of dollars. So uh, we can't afford not to, not to think about this problem. 
that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care.